Before the sermon, I wanted to read a poem. And Tom, this is not where you have to start filming a, a wave. But the name of this poem is Poems with Disabilities. And it was written by someone named Jim Ferris. I'm sorry. This space is reserved for poems with disabilities. I know it's one of the best spaces in the book, but the Poems with Disabilities Act requires us to make all reasonable accommodations for poems that aren't normal. There is a nice space just a few pages over. In fact, don't tell anyone. I think it's better than this one. I myself prefer it. Actually, I don't see any of those poems right now myself, but you never know when one might show up. So we have to keep this space open. You can't always tell just from looking at them either. Sometimes they'll look just like a regular poem when they roll in. You're reading along and suddenly everything changes. The world tilts a little, angle of vision jumps, focus shifts. You remember your aunt died of cancer at just your age and maybe yesterday's twinges mean something after all. Your sloppy, fragile heart beats a little faster. And then you know. You just know. And the poem is right where it belongs. Take a moment of silence, please. And Sherry just brought us another announcement about uh, the hens having a new baby. We can never celebrate that too much. I am going to confess something here that's not part of my regular sermon. I know many of you may have come thinking that I would be talking about what has happened in Charlottesville. And there's been a recommendation. Uh, it's kind of informal among Universalist Unitarian ministers that if, if there's a tragedy in our nation that we should rewrite our sermons that we should not preach what we had planned to preach, but to preach about that particular tragedy. Well, I am not going to do that today. And the reason I am not going to do that is not that I don't feel care should be taken with each of you who've come in here with a heavy heart because of what has happened. I have a heavy heart too. In fact, my heart is so heavy each time one of these things occurs. Even though it's not surprising, it is just <coughs> devastating. I don't feel that I, as an African-American person, 
and the right person to be up here telling you that things are askew in the white world. You've heard it many times. Your people are sympathetic and empathetic, but I have to ask, how many horrible things have to happen for people to move to strive to change the path that this country is on. I don't think I'm the I'm the I don't think I'm the right person. I want you to know that I love this church. I love this community. I have friends here. And I'm not blaming anyone for what is not going right. But what I am saying is, on this day, I am not the right person to deliver the message that we have to pay attention, that we have to get out of our comfort zones, that we, we have to move to interrupt the violence that is taking place in this country. I'm not that person. Some days I am that person, but today I am not. Therefore, I'm going to preach the sermon that I had intended to preach, even though I had time to write a new sermon. I, today, I refuse to have to be the person that delivers the message that says, that says, pay attention to me and my suffering and the suffering of, of black people and the suffering of brown people and the suffering of yellow people and the suffering of white people who don't know where they belong anymore. The end. Now the sermon. You knew it wasn't true when you said it. In fact, you were defending yourself from some hurtful words. Your best weapon to save face was to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But you said those words because you were hurt, and that hurt is often a painful bruise on our psyches that has lived for, for decades. So we all know that words can hurt us and can break us. Also, when we were children, we were taught that it wasn't nice to hurt other people's feelings. And as we got older, we got the message that if someone says they are hurting, believe them even if you don't get it. When it comes to practicing what we have been taught, though, we can fall woefully short. Oftentimes, it's because of a lack of understanding, ignorance of the facts, or just plain refusal to change because we refuse to be inconvenienced. 
In some instances, we acknowledge that words can be hurtful or inappropriate. We know not to use the N-word or Negro and its derivatives or other racial slurs for other ethnicities. And most of us refrain from using those terms because we perceive that they are insulting, although we don't necessarily know why. We know to refrain from using racial slurs because we have gotten the message that doing so is profoundly hurtful and inappropriate. But for some reason, we didn't get the message when we talk about the words that we use and the phrases in our language which are offensive to others and can trigger anxiety, feelings of insecurity, fear, and anger. For most of our history, we've designed our buildings, our schools, our work, work, actual work design, and businesses for those who have been called able-bodied. It has taken legislation for us to begin to rectify these problems, but legislation cannot modify centuries of injustice, prejudice, and marginalization that others, people with disabilities, or perceived disabilities, such as being gender nonconforming. So today let's talk about language surrounding verbal abuse of our members, friends, and neighbors. And yes, I said abuse. And I know some of you will say, but, but I didn't know this was a problem. I think Linda was harsh. And it is harsh. And that's what I intended, but I will tell you, because many of us are unaware of the problems and we need to become aware. And I can guarantee you this is not the hellfire and brimstone sermon that I promised I would give someday um, on my first official uh, service here. I'm actually going to be gentle. Our denomination has finally begun to acknowledge that if we are to live up to our principle of affirming and promoting the worth and dignity of every person, we have to pay attention to the words we use. At this year's General Assembly in New Orleans, some of the words we commonly use came under examination in two specific cases. First of all, thousands of you voted to change the wording of our second source after the introduction of a proposal written by Mix, that's MX, Jamie Yandel, and read by our own Marcus Foliano. Here are the words that Marcus said. I move that we adopt to change our second source, source which currently reads, words and deeds of prophetic women and men to words and deeds of prophetic people, replacing men, women and men with people. Using language like women and men reinforces the gender binary, which fails to acknowledge the gender fluidity of cisgender people and does not fully embrace the experiences 
of gender, non-binary, and transgender people. Yes, it's a mouthful. I suggest that you look it up. <laughs> look it up. It's on the UUA website. And you'll see a picture of Marcus there, too. So some have said, what is the big deal? Aren't we all women and men? Well, the answer to that is yes, we are indeed human. We are people, we are persons. But we do not all identify as a male or female, man or woman. So do we fail to include those who don't see it the way we've always seen it? Or do we continue to refuse to change just because that's the way it's always been? Or because that is what it says in the Bible? Or because it is just too hard to use those complicated pronouns? The other issue has to do with standing on the side of love, both the organization and the song. Delegates at General Assembly asked the leaders of that organization to reimagine another name because the word standing is problematic. I can tell you that the name has bothered me since the group's in session. Primarily because I believe we should be working on interrupting the flow of injustice, not being on the sidelines. And standing on the side of love seems to me to say we're only going to go just so far. Regarding the organization, GA's delegates passed a responsive resolution proposed by my friend and colleague, Reverend Teresa Inez Soto, whom I'm going to tell you a little more about later in the sermon. Regarding standing on the side of love, she urged the delegates and you use who are who are concerned about the campaign's use of that term as they go out and provide public witness. She urged leaders of the UUA's public witness campaign to consider a name change, to change the name of the organization because, and this is what Teresa wrote and introduced, Use of the word standing as default justice language places a high value on the justice work and commitments of able-bodied people while it makes invisible and exclusive the justice work of people with a wide range of disabilities. At the final plenary session of this year's General Assembly, the Reverend Jason Shelton, who is the composer of the hymn Standing on the Side of Love, acknowledged that the ablest language of that song that he had written had been very hurtful to many people with, with disabilities. It goes beyond those who can't stand. It also includes those who have felt that they have not been heard. Jason apologized for the pain he caused, and then he sang 
a new version of the hymn with the new lyrics. And as for the song, I've never used it in a service. First, because I don't care for the program, and I tell you that it's practically sacrilegious to say that out loud. And secondly, because I became aware. I became aware of ableist language, and I do not want to continue to add to the pain of people who are trying to get our attention regarding ableism. I contacted Jason to get the new words. He gave them to me. We are going to be singing, answering the call of love at the end of the service. Okay, so are you thinking, here we go again? What's the big deal? Why can't we take a stand? It's just a metaphor. I don't think this should apply to music because it's all full of metaphors. Those are the things, some of the things that I've heard. Interestingly, the first time I read the phrase, stop using my body as a metaphor, it was written by my friend Teresa. <clears throat> She's a UU minister who has been shining a light on ableist issues within our denomination. Teresa has cerebral palsy and uses a motorized scooter. She has her LLD, which is an academic degree at the doctoral level um, for attorneys. She got this all before coming to Meadville uh, to get her Master of Divinity degree. And I got her permission to tell this story. A couple of years ago, we were attending the same conference in Boston, and because we were in Boston, people wanted us to come to uh, 25. 25 Beacon Street is the building where our uh, staff at the denominal level denominational level is housed. Also housed in the building centuries of artifacts, dust, and mold. <laughs> we, we've moved since then, and that is a whole other story of how that happened. It also had an inaccessible front door. So to get into the building, you had to walk around and here I am with Teresa, and we're on cobblestone streets. So her scooter was bouncing all over the place. Then we had to turn into a very narrow opening. I don't know if it was even two feet wide. It was barely wide enough for her to get her scooter in and to hold on as it was rocking to make sure that we could get down that path safely and into the meeting that we were attending. Well, at the end of the meeting, someone from the staff called a cab. And we went outside about the time we thought the cab should get there. And I think I failed to mention that this was a cold, blustery day in Boston, that there was snow and ice everywhere. So we went outside, 
and I sat on the cold concrete, and Teresa sat on her, the plastic seat of, our, of her scooter, and we just got colder and colder and colder. A cab came by, slowed down, and then rushed away. We called for other cabs. Cabs kept passing us by. After about an hour, Teresa said to me, Linda, why don't you fly down a, a cab and, and just go on back to the, to the hotel? I couldn't believe that she was so concerned about my suffering. I was no colder than she was. I also wondered how many times she had reached this level of rejection. How many times had people pretended not to see her? Who had left her behind for their own comfort? And this, this I'm seeing in the span of, of one day. What about the other many days in her 45 years of existence? So what does this story have to do with words? I'm going to take you on a little journey. Once upon a time, the word lame referred to walking with a limp. Now, according to Jesse Elena Aaron, an author who uses a wheelchair, in the case of physical disability, one neutral, the once neutral term, lame, now describes someone who is inept, naive, easily fooled, socially inept. Aaron goes on to say that human beings tend to construct their world, guess how? Through metaphor. And the human body, a universal experience, everyone has one, is one of the most common bases for the development of new abstract meanings. In other words, we human beings use our bodies as reference points for meaning including the process of creating negative descriptive language related to our body's frailties. Jesse Aaron's list includes retarded, lame, crippled, crazy, insane, dumb, feeble-minded, moronic, spaz, psycho, schizo, maniac, idiot, cretin, loony, hysterical, gimp, nuts, wheelchair-bound, freak, weak, invalid, and special. One word that I want to examine in particular is the word stand. Many people in wheelchairs are objecting to its use or related phrases like step-by-step. -step. When you think of a phrase like stand your ground, what do you see? What is in your mind's eye? In my mind's eye, there's someone standing with their arms folded, and their legs spread, or maybe they have a shotgun. But they are firm and they are not willing to let you pass. That's what I see. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. How do you do that in a wheelchair? Stand by your man. Stand by me. Stand up for what you believe. 
So are you beginning to feel the sting in those common phrases? And it isn't petty for people who are trying to tell us that we are hurting them to ask us to adjust our language and to demonstrate that we are paying attention to their needs. You may decide to keep using ableist language. In fact, it's awfully hard to avoid it sometimes, especially if you're an actor or an entertainer, a performer. But if you knowingly keep using such words and phrases, note that you may be harming someone's feelings of worth and dignity. According to the article, the body is not an apology. Some people think the value they place on, being able, on using ableist language supersedes the harm that it causes in the disabled communities, even though it triggers disabled people, which makes it a source of mass psychological harm for an already marginalized group. I am not the word police. I hope that I'm, I'm not going to be correcting anyone if I hear them say stand or what's our next step or uh, we've really made great strides. I'm not going to be doing that. But I can tell you that I've become sensitive to words that cause pain to others. In fact, I check every word of every hymn and every reading that I use in a service for ableist language. And so far, I haven't found any song so compelling that I would use it, although it stings. In fact, in my internship congregation, someone that I went to college with is a member. Um, he was born without eyesight. And he told me he wished we would stop singing Amazing Grace, which is the most popular hymn in the United States. He said, I'm blind and I'm not going to see. I try to be consistent in checking myself when I want to say stand and other common phrases. I just ask you to do the same. At the 2016 General Assembly, my friend that I've talked about, the Reverend Teresa Inez Soto, went to the front of her stage on her scooter, and she sat there through the whole service. And every time we sang a song that had an ableist word, she lifted up a little sign that said, ouch. I can tell you that some people were absolutely livid. But some people began to understand. And as a denomination, we were making significant progress. This year, we have addressed the problem in a positive way. We have work to do, my friends. Work not with trepidation, but with openness openness, support, and freedom of spirit. We can take a strong position and band with other like-minded people. We can move forward together, be present for each other, always protect the worth and dignity of others.
we can recognize that words are the sticks and stones we carry with us every day. We can be gentle. May it be so.